He was like our representation for the singles when we came out. And then Penny and Scott. And you see their, their two kids, Ellie and Luke. And it's just amazing. You look at the kids and like, wow, they're, you know, so much bigger and just, you know. When we all moved out here, everyone was between the ages of 26 and 33. And this group here is um, still with us. All the books that I read about church planting said that the team that moves with you to plant the church, um, don't get too attached because... Just like scaffolding on a building, once the building is erected and painted, you don't need the scaffolding anymore. Oftentimes what happens with church planting teams is um, within the first two to three years, they leave. Um, Because sometimes there's strains on relationships, sometimes it's just they're burnt out, sometimes uh, even just spiritual warfare, it's a battle, people get taken out in the battle. And... And so it's a spiritual endeavor, and, and but I'm really grateful this whole crew is still with us, and, uh, and we all relate still, which is a huge thing. We are all uh, close in our relationships with each other, uh, everyone, and that's not that we haven't had to work through challenges with each other. We have some core values in our church, and our, our team that launched this church really had to practice those core values of clearing things up, giving and receiving correction. Living an honest and open life, putting each other's interests ahead of our own, and just on and on and on, we've had to really relate in a way that um, allowed us to keep making progress together. So I'm really grateful for them. All of them are actually here in this room. So I'd like to ask you to stand. Honor you, the, the, um, the, the five of you. Okay, they're not all in the But I see three of them. Three of them. Go ahead and stand. Three that are in here. Um, the, these five adults that joined my wife and I on this, um, it was really huge for us. They made a, a, a pretty high-level commitment. I'll tell you a little bit about the criteria that our sponsor church set for them to join this church planting team. The criteria was sent by the senior pastor of the Church in the Valley, which is where we come from, in Diamond Bar. And this, this group of five committed to this. The first thing they committed to was to, to move to Riverside, not just to kind of commute to church in Riverside, which is definitely possible 40 minutes away um, but they were asked to move to Riverside and if that meant selling anything and getting ready they they needed to do that and so people sold house packed up bags packed up house moved settled in either Orange Crest or in Mission Grove which is kind of neighborhoods right up here and they were committed to for two years they were asked to make a commitment of doing two nights a week and weekends of evangelism and discipleship relationship building but they really said, okay, yeah, we'll give this a priority in our life. Two weeks a week and the weekends. Um, hosting people, serving people, helping people grow. Also, they cleared their vacations with our church calendar, pretty much. They just checked in with me about, hey, we're thinking about going on a trip. And the idea behind that was to make sure that when we were having some important event, they weren't like in the Bahamas or in Hawaii or even out of town in Vegas. I mean, honestly, the idea is when you're doing something, um, important, you really need your key people there. And so they committed to just building their plans for the first two years of our church around the success of the church. That's a huge sacrifice. It's 
They also committed to financially giving what's called a tithe of our income, just being faithful to steward. That helped us get the church off the ground clearly. You know, we needed resources to be able to get the church started. We did a lot of events, a lot of things that cost money in the past five years. And so having that early commitment from some families was huge. They also committed to doing quiet time. It's like four days a week at minimum, oh, five days a week at minimum. And, and the point of that is you want to depend on God when you're doing a spiritual endeavor like a church plan. It's not something you just want to try to do on your own. You really want God to help you by providing the strength and power to do what we're doing. So that's the time when God is a Bible and prayer. But these types of high-level commitments really, really help us build momentum in the early days. Here's a picture of our first um, month. We had home services in the very first month. And you'll see some of the group that's there. Um, at this point, there was probably about 15 or so adults with us. We've grown a little bit at this point. And you see, I'm down on the far right. It looks like I'm preaching. And as you can see, the audience, they're just very as deep in prayer. I'm, a, I'm assuming. <laughs> but yeah, some of the faces that are here still still around. The kids are... This was our first like family Christmas service, actually, and the kids were involved in that. Everyone kind of, in the early earliest days, everyone worshipped together, everyone pitched in. Um, but then soon after that, within about a month of a month and a half of being there, we launched and we had a public service and we invited the community. You'll see a picture of Amelia Earhart Middle School next, which is where we had our first um, public site. And you'll see at this middle school that we were at, we were there for about like six months weekly, but we had donuts every week. And we had donuts for the first um, three plus years of our church. And so I think I did the math. We consumed somewhere around 25,000 plus donuts in the first um, three years, which is pretty outstanding, I think. But that's why we did a flashback. Some of us are still trying to burn the donuts off, but, but the flashbacks, you know, of today was, let's bring some donuts back and just enjoy that together. But this is a picture of, of where we met when we first started out. And is about a mile from here. We're really grateful for that place. But then we launched and we moved to this location. We launched on, actually, this next slide shows our grand opening, which was there at that school. Look to the next slide. You'll see there was, this was at that middle school. We had 146 people show up for our first um, public service. It sounds a little deceiving, though. And it looks really full. And it's, we were all really shocked at how many people showed up. Because up to this point, we were averaging about 60 people, 50, 60 people for our monthly preview services. But then we launched, we had In-N-Out, people came out dispersed and stuff. But after all the dust settled, this room is kind of full of uh, a lot of people that helped us. And so after all the relatives that were there to support us left, after the close friends, after all the people from the other churches that helped us get us off the ground, after everyone left, we had about 60 people to start with. And we just kind of started building from there. And it was, you know, we eventually moved to this location, but next slide is a baptism. This is the first lady that came to Christ. Her name was Kristen. Kristen was the first person to come to know Jesus and be baptized. We baptized, for the first four years, we baptized in the backyard of that pool right here. This lady, she came to Christ as a result of meeting some of the people that moved, well, the team that moved out here, the launch team. We were helping each other unload the moving truck and she saw this group of people and she said who are all you people are you all related and someone struck up a conversation with her and 
you know, over time, invited her, told her to start a church, and she came to our very first home service that was in our living room. And the day after the first home service, she came to She was baptized for first baptism. Some of you have been baptized in that very school. And so it's just been really exciting to see commit their life to Christ. That's really why we came to Christ the Church. We wanted to help all people to know Jesus Christ and become fully devoted followers of Him. Um, this next picture is the last day at our at that first site, the last day of the Mary Earhart. This was pretty much all of our committed volunteers after we tore down our last day at Earhart. This was October 2008, and then we moved to this location, which is the community center, and you're familiar with this next picture. We moved here. This place was brand new to Riverside, and we got on the waiting list, and when it was built, we said, we want to get in there, and it's been a great site. One of the main attractions of this location is... It's just that it's new, and it has a lot to offer. It has a gymnasium, it has big open rooms, um, it's clean, it has six baseball fields, a huge meadow, and so we've been able to just really utilize all that this community center complex has to offer to our church. We lease this from the city, in case you're wondering, no, this is not our place. So we just lease it, and we only have it for like five hours per Sunday, so it's not even ours for very long. And Sometimes they kick us out, like Super Bowl last year. They said, hey, by the way, Super Bowl's coming up. We're going to need to use the building, so go somewhere else. So we're just in a mobile situation. You just have to kind of flex with them. All the stuff that you see, we set it up, we tear it down. Uh, but we really love this location. It's common for people to come and ask, hey, this is a nice place, but when are you going to get into a location of your own, like a more permanent place, where you don't have to do all this Mickey Mouse set up and tear down and all this stuff. And When are you going to be able to do that? And you're like... That's just not a huge priority for us. It's not necessarily, wasn't in the list of major top ten plans for, for this church to go and find a permanent location. Um, one of the consultants that came, to, he came and looked at our center and looked at the, all the buildings and just all that was here, and he pretty much said, Josh, um, if, if, the lo- if the Lord says it's time to move and you do need to leave for whatever reason, um, it's probably going to be somewhat of a disappointing experience. Because it's going to be hard to find something that has all of this that you have available. And he just said, look, you know, look around at what you have available. This is really a blessing to be able to use all this. And so I know for some it may seem like, oh, it would be so nice if we could. But honestly, for what we're paying in this place, the amount we pay for per month, if you translate that into purchasing something, you know, we get a nice little, a nice little room. We'd have six services because we wouldn't all fit. You know, we'd, you know, and we'd all be like, why can't we go back to the community center? Well, we bought this place, and I hope you like it. So, no, but it just, he just said, you know, you're not going to be able to really find anything until you're much, much larger to where you can even really make it comparable. And so we're really grateful for the place that God has provided to us. And we're going to be here until it seems prudent otherwise. And so for now, this is really where we, where we are and where we plan to stay. And this next pick is our last Let's see, this is a sports camp. This was, uh, I don't know if this is last year's pick. I think it is, but we've done sports camp. We use all these fields for different things. We've done tournaments. We've done things for the community. But just, it allows us to do a whole lot to serve our area. Um, In February 2011, two years ago, we launched our second service. We began holding two identical Sunday morning services. And this next slide just shows our very last um, photo of having one service. And so that was like... Um, everybody three years ago. And so the church has steadily grown. 
And since February 2011, we've been holding two services. This was kind of a major shift because when you shift from one to two services, the big question is, am I going to see so-and-so? How am I going to make sure I see so-and-so? What if I'm in a different service? And all of that kind of comes up. But, uh, but really, it's just, I can't believe it has been five years. This, the Krispy Kreme donuts are just one way of saying thank you. I know it's a small thing, but it's one way of saying thank you to all of you who've served, pitched in, volunteers, um, Many, many of you have, have practiced the values that we call the heart attitudes, which is our core values. And many of you have invested your lives in helping others to come to know Jesus Christ. And so for that, we are truly grateful. You've come alongside people who've been struggling. You've come alongside um, and supported leadership as we've made major decisions that impacts your lives. And you've said, hey, we're going to keep moving forward. And so we are really, really grateful. Um, we... We have these coffee mugs that are in the back. There's a table in the back, and you'll see there's a stack of coffee mugs. And we've purchased enough for every, for every family to take one. And so if you're the only one in your family, then grab one. If you have a handful of adults in your family, then... Um, Taylor needs to be back there. And if you want more than one, they're $5 beyond the one. So this has our logo on it. Sharp mug. It's called Smoke. On the back, it has our mission statement. So, um, there's a few people I wanted to honor, and they're, they're not here. One of them was here last week, but two organizations really sacrificed to help us get started. First was Church in the Valley and Diamond Bar. That's a sponsor. You hear me talk about them probably a lot, maybe more than you can appreciate. But I, I, I really, we owe them a debt of gratitude because we really have benefited from them. Uh, they gave to our church monthly financial support for the first three years. They have a constant training and coaching and still do. Um, they've sent teams of volunteers to help us predict that we knew we were just um, understaffed or we just didn't have the manpower to pull things off. They've just been in this from the start. And next Sunday, they launch a new site in, in Alhambra, and we were able to kind of give back to them. We sent them $4,500 from our year-end offering to help with the marketing and the advertising of their grand opening in L.A., so I'm really grateful for us being able to do that. Another person is, another organization is this Inland Empire Southern Baptist Association. Daryl Lackey and his wife Brenda were here last service, and they've just been kind of championing this church since we started. And so uh, we're really grateful for some of these different organizations and people that have partnered with us. Um, but as you get into the scripture, one of the things you learn is that all throughout, from the beginning of time to the end of time, and even in heaven, God makes all things for his own good pleasure. Everything he's created for his own good pleasure. Take a look at Revelation 4, 11. He made all of us. He gets the ultimate credit for our lives. He gets all the credit for everything that's ever been created, for everyone that's ever been created, and for everything that we've ever accomplished. He gets all the credit. Whenever we set out to do his will, we learn to bring him grace. Revelation 4, 11. The angels are declaring this in heaven. You are worthy, our Lord, and God to receive honor and glory and power. For you created all things by your will. They were created after we owe God everything. The one that put us all together. So let's thank Him. Let's take a moment. God bless you. Thank you. Father, we just, right now, we just acknowledge that all of this is your doing. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to participate in your work. Thank you for, for putting in our hearts to plug in here, the different people at different stages, have decided to band with us. Thank you for, for moving in people's hearts for these past five years. Just 
and helping people join with us and band with us to accomplish this mission you've given to us. Well, Lord, you are the great one that put this all together. You created all of this. Everything that has been done, all the people that have come to know you, all the earthly accomplishments, Lord, none of that was our own doing. That was all by your hand. And so we just acknowledge and we, we bow before you. We give you all the credit, all the praise, all the honor. We thank you, God, for the work you have done in this place. And, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to move forward grounded and um, supported by your word and the truth that you've given to us in the Bible. It's, it's timeless, Lord. And so, Lord, help us not to stray from it. Help us to keep moving um, as you lead us through the Bible. We desire to be a church that's not just um, being efficient in what we're doing, but we want to be faithful and we want to be um, we want it to be pleasing to you above all else. So may that be the case, Lord. So we just we thank you for the work you've done. Thank you for all these people that you've brought along through the years. May you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want, take out this, take out this listening guide, and we're going to walk through this message. Today we're starting up this new message series on relationships. We just finished a message series sort of on relationships, you're saying. Yes, we did. But that was as it relates to the church. Specifically, we really talked about what is church life. What is church life supposed to look like according to Scripture? Now we're really talking about, in a broader sense, why are relationships so important? Brief disclaimer before we really get into it is: I'm not speaking on this area because I've conquered it and I'm here to tell you everything I've done right, and now you need to do it like I've done it. Really, that's not the case. I am just like everyone in this room, both in potential and in struggle. Somehow, I am. A sinner in desperate need of God's grace and help, totally capable of screwing up all my relationships, and at the same time, I'm also God's child with tremendous hope and potential. And this is where we all are. We're somewhere in the middle of that. We're all sinners, and we're all God's children. Some of us have actually yielded our lives to Christ, so the power is really there to really pursue and do life in a new way, to experience the blessing and the goodness of walking with Him. Others are in the process somewhere along the way, have not yet yielded your life to Christ. That might be you, and you just, you're kind of sorting through that decision. But you're somewhere in the middle. We're sinners and saints, in the sense that we're, we're just in the middle of the process. And so because of that, we've all experienced great highs in our relationships and devastating lows, haven't we? In launching this church, you know, we've, we've, we've made some friends along the way. We've lost some friends along the way. Hasn't been without challenge. It's been painful at points. In your relationships, you, you've you've built some relationships. You've lost some relationships. Some things that you thought would never end, maybe you've lost. Maybe those things are gone. In our parenting, in our friendships, in our dating, in our in all those things, it's just there's these highs because you know we're God's children. There's this potential in us, but there's also these extreme lows because we're sinners and we screw things up. We're all just somewhere in the middle of relationships, and it's very, very difficult because of we know our past. We've navigated through the minefields of relationships, and because we've gotten hurt along the way, sometimes we ask the question, is it even worth it? Why should I even bother anymore? And so we start writing off people. We start writing off relationships. We give up hope. We lose hope in relationships because they're all so messy, so tiring, just like this bulletin cover. It's just this big splatter, and you're like, man, so messy. What's the point? I want to show you a video clip where the main character 
George Clooney, he, he basically says it's not worth it. He's this motivational speaker and he's giving a talk about what he thinks, you know, about success. And as he lays it out, you can hear his belief in his view on relationships. He's pretty much given up. So let's roll this clip. You have a new backpack. Only this time, I want you to fill it with people. Start with casual acquaintances, friends of friends, folks around the office. And then you move into the people that you trust with your most intimate secrets. Your cousins, your aunts, your uncles brothers, your sisters, your parents, and finally your husband, your wife, boyfriend, your girlfriend. You get them into that backpack. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to light it on fire. (laughs) Feel the weight of that bag. Make no mistake, your relationships are the heaviest components in your life. You feel the straps cutting into your shoulders, all those negotiations and arguments and secrets and compromises. You don't need to carry all that weight. Why don't you set that bag down? Some animals were meant to carry each other, to live symbiotically for a lifetime. Star-crossed lovers, monogamous swans. We are not those animals. The slower we move, the faster we die. We are not swans. We're sharks. Never? No. Ever? No. Never want to get married? Nope. Never want kids? Not a chance. Ever. Never. Is that so bizarre? Yes. Yes, it is. I just don't see the value in it. All right, sell it to me. What? Sell me marriage. Okay, how about love? (laughs) Okay. Stability? Somebody you can count on? How many stable marriages do you know? Somebody to talk to? Someone to spend your life with? I'm surrounded by people to talk to. I doubt that's going to change. How about just not dying alone? Starting when I was 12, we moved each one of my grandparents into a nursing facility. My parents went the same way. Make no mistake, we all die alone. Now, those cult members in San Diego with the Kool-Aid and the sneakers, they didn't die alone. I'm just saying there are options. Wow. Doesn't that sound extreme? Like, it sounds really extreme. Honestly, it's not that extreme, though. That's really, at the point, that's where some people are at. You might be in that place where you're just like, it's just not worth it. And that's not much a stretch for some. And we ask this question, what is the real point? Why should I bother with relationships? Well, the Bible has a view on relationships the reason we ought to bother, bother with it is because God God did. It was worth it for him. The top of this says, you were made for relationships. This is, this is part of who we are, being human. We were made for relationships. That's the top fill in the blank there. It says in Genesis 1, 26, God said this. This is the very beginning of the Bible. 
First chapter in Genesis. Let us make man in our image. This is God talking. He says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now you might be saying, why is God saying us and our? Like, is he having a personality complex? Does he have a problem with understanding his identity? This is actually a clue into who God is in his, in his image, his nature. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one. In one. That's known as the Trinity. It's real complex. It's a real complex way of, of us in, as a human trying to understand who God is. He is, he is three in one. He, and it's not like sometimes he's like, hey, call me God. Yeah, you can call me Jesus. Now call me the Holy Spirit. It's really that there are three persons in one being. They relate to each other in unity, perfect unity, in fact. They're all equally God. But there's this order of how they work together. They relate in order, in unity, and they, they, as far as redemption, redeeming the world, they play different roles in redemption. This is who God is in his character. He is, he is communal. He is relational. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So this, this is what he's saying. Then when, so that kind of frames why God made us like this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God lives within a community, within the Trinity, the members of the Trinity. And so he has made humankind in his very image, in his own likeness. God created us. He designed us for relationships. In Genesis 2, we've been looking at a lot of these verses recently because so much goes back to the creation account. Look again at Genesis 2, where God makes Adam and just kind of zooms in on the garden and showing Adam being made. It says, when he made Adam, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, for Adam to be all by himself. I will make a helper suitable for him. And while this certainly addresses how males and females, you know, complement each other, the implications to this verse are broader than just marriage. This, This is to include all human relationships. He looked at Adam and he was all alone. Something was missing. He was, God created humans to be relational, to be communal. So he makes Eve. God designed us to be a part of relationships. And this is because it reflects who he is. Whenever we do it right, whenever we relate rightly in relationships to friends, to people in family life, when we relate rightly in church life, what it does is it reflects his image. And it communicates to the world. They're acting like they were intended to act like. This is what God made them to be. And so when God looks at relationships that are right, he says, man, that pleases. That's honoring. That's honoring. When the angels see relationships that are doing well in a family, in friendships, again, it honors God. When he sees dysfunction, you know, when he sees destruction, it dishonors God's image and his, how we were formed in his image and his likeness. And so Jesus, he was concerned for our unity. So if you fast forward to Jesus' life, when he's praying, right before he goes to the cross and dies, he prays this prayer. We looked at this a few weeks ago as well. John 17 says, Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for the church. But he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I am you, or I am in you. He's talking about the relationship within the Trinity. He's talking about the unity that's there. May they also be in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, unified, as we are one. Reflecting God's image to the world is what he's concerned with. 
Jesus is praying. I'm praying that they would stay together because this is the best reflection we can give the world about who I am. What God is saying is, this is, the, this is how people understand who God is in, in the way that we do relationships, in the way that we work hard at not giving up on relationships because there's unity among Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So in verse 23, he says, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the whole world know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. But here's the problem. Unity is a struggle. We know this. The next blank is all relationships are difficult. All of them. They're messy. See, probably the relationships that have brought you the most, the most joy have also probably been the biggest pain in your life. Isn't that amazing how you can experience the greatest highs and joys from the same relationships and people that bring the greatest lows and the things you're like, why do I even bother with this? And so we have this, we have this real challenge when it comes to relationships. And as you get into, as you keep walking through the creation account, God makes man, then he makes Eve, and then the next chapter, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin and things get really strained and difficult. Because when Adam and Eve sin, they blame they shift blame rather than taking responsibility. And God says, Adam, what, what's, what have you done? Why did you disobey me? He says, it's her. Everything was going fine until you brought her along. You know, she spoiled this. Everything was fine until she arrived, God. He, he, he shifts the blame. Well, things just get strained in their relationship, don't they? You ever blame shift? You kind of skirt your responsibility. I know I do. It's just very easy to just follow, you know, my great forefather, you know, Adam. And just follow the pattern of what he's doing. In the next chapter, you see things get even more strange. We see jealousy in Genesis 4, bitter envy, and then murder. Our struggle with sin is constantly revealed in these things that we call relationships. We just see how messy we really are in our relationships. But the truth is, God is still working, even through the pain. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. This is dated language, so we don't usually use a lot of these terms, but take a look. When I have learnt, practice that one today, learnt. What did you learn today? Well, I learnt. Well, he says, when I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. What he's saying is, loving God impacts our relationships. Whenever I keep that in order, it impacts all my relationships. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, meaning whenever I mix up my priorities, I shall be moving towards a state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. So he says, when first things are, first, are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. See, getting confused on the priority of our relationship to Christ as the, as the most important thing, it messes everything else up. Anytime we confuse... Putting Christ first, there's no possible way we can deal with the messiness of relationships. Long term, they fall apart. We have just we don't have it in us to really put things back together. Look at Revelation chapter two, verses four and five, as Jesus is examining a church who, from the outside, had a lot going on. You see, he says this to this church. He, he's just bragged about how they were growing, they're efficient, but their priorities had drifted. Look what he says. Jesus said, "I hold this against you." You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Meaning, put me first in your life again. You, I used to be number one in this church, he's saying. But you've lost that. Some other things have crept in. You've kind of drifted away from that priority. See, if Jesus were to show up here and kind of walk amongst 
us. Eat donuts next to you out there. Worship with us. Serve with us. Relate in our homes. What would he say? What would he, what would he say to us? Would he say, you know, yeah, I'm really their first love? Or would he say, well, that group has kind of put some other things ahead of me. You see, becoming a Christian is, is deciding to put Jesus first in our life. Committing your life to Jesus as Lord means he's first. He's number one. But then what happens is as soon as we do that, all sorts of other things begin to compete for that first place position. People do. Concerns do. Possessions do. And so very easily, we can just that stuff, he can drift out of first place. And then what happens is everything else that we're trying to, to focus on in life, that stuff starts unraveling as well. We're not able to really put things together when we push him off the throne. And so Jesus said this, Matthew 6:33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says this because he said most of the people, they run around and they say, you know, their life is consumed by thinking about, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Those are the, cons- the concerns of our world. What are we going to eat? What are we? It's communal concerns, too. Because sometimes it's the community of, of our friends, so our family. We're pushing the needs of the people in our lives far ahead of the concerns of Jesus. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? He says, look, that's what, everyone, that's what everyone in the world runs around asking. He says, but for you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these, things, all these other things will be added. It's really when we put first things first, like C.S. Lewis was trying to say, that we really can have healthy relationships. Reconciliation in broken relationships can happen when we keep Christ first. But we really have a hard time reconciling because we tend to just keep trying to solve problems on our own. We think the solution starts with us. There's some passages in there. I'll let you read that later about Genesis 3. You see the just the way that Adam and Eve just some of the struggles they experience in their lives, struggles that we experience, power struggles in our home, just being unfulfilled in our work, and just how just our relationships get strained over and there's all these things that sin brought with it, with it. And unfortunately, there are no secrets that guarantee problem-free relationships. On the back side, or at the bottom there, it says, there's just no secrets. If there were a secret, there was some sort of quick fix magic pill that we could just swallow and, and somehow fix all of our relationships, then on our own we could put things together. But there isn't, there isn't a secret magic key that, that, that we can just find to fix everything in this world. We hope, though, there, that there would be. We hope that there's some sort of better plan in our relationships. So what do we do? We go to the bookstore. We, we get books on men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and we learn about the opposite sex, and okay, if I just understand how they work and how I'm different, then things will get better. Or if I just get better at my communication, so we buy books on how to relate better to my friends and how to solve conflict with my, with, you know, with my friends. Or We do all of these things, and there's value in those things, but relationships are still messy. They're still, they're still messy. And here's the good news. Scripture offers a clear hope. Scripture offers a clear hope for our relationships. Change does not start with us. Try it. Try, try fixing your relationships on your own. If you could do it, then Jesus' sacrifice is unnecessary and is redundant. How long have you went without sinning? Have you went like more than a day? <laughs> more than three days? How, well, how long has it been since you provoked the argument in your home? I, mean, I guarantee there was arguments this morning before even getting here. 
Are you going to show hands? No. I mean, you know, give it a few hours of relating. And we're going to, it's messy. See, if, if the solution for relationships and being healthy were in us, then Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. If we could have fixed everything in life, he wouldn't have, need to, he wouldn't have needed to die in our place. But the cross is what provides the basis for reconciliation. Our relationships, they seem strained. You know, they, they can get messy and complicated and devast- You know, we have devastating things happen. But no other relationship has suffered more than what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit suffered when Jesus died on the cross. Because if you understand what happened, Jesus hung on the cross and he cries out in a loud voice. And he, he cries this out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's hanging after six hours of enduring this punishment. But Jesus on the cross, he became the sin offering for the whole world. Because of that, he was forsaken by the Father. The Father turned away from him. And so the Trinity was broken. See, what happened was, that perfect relationship was broken for our redemption. So that we could be saved and made right with God. And so that we could have healing and actually empowered to relate to each other. The Trinity, the members of the Trinity were broken. That's why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he on the cross, he could bear the separation no longer. That's why he cries out these words. Jesus, for the very first time on the cross, he sensed the separation that he had experienced. He was feeling the separation from the Father. He'd never felt that before. The perfect unity of the Trinity was broken because God cared enough to redeem us, to rescue us from our lives of sin. Paul writes this about Jesus. God made him who had no sin, meaning Jesus, the perfect one, he made him who had no sin, the perfect one, to be sin for us. He absorbed everything sinful and despicable about us and everyone in the world, even the worst of us. Why did he do this? Scripture says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. None of us have what it takes to make peace with God. None of us have what it takes to have good relationships. Only because Jesus became sin for us paid our penalty, what happened was God took the perfect life that Jesus lived, the righteousness that he had lived, and he exchanged it for our life of sin. So when we receive Christ, there's this great exchange where we're given Jesus' righteous life. He took our, our, our sin, our penalty upon himself. That's the good news. His righteousness has been credited to our account. And what that does is it it does all sorts of things for our relationships. Look at these four lines. We're going to bring them up real quick. Jesus was willing to be the rejected son so that our families would know reconciliation. He did that so that we could find healing in family life. Or Jesus was willing to become the forsaken friend so that we could have loving loving friendships. All of the, the cross... What the cross does is it's our only hope we have for reconciliation with each other. Everything goes back to the cross. He was broken so we could have restoration. Jesus was also willing to be the rejected Lord so that we could have godly relationships. And he was willing to be the crucified king so that our marriages, so that our churches could have peace. He brought reconciliation in two different ways. First, he reconciled us with God, and then he made it possible for us to be reconciled with each other. The cross changes everything. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for him, for them, and was raised again. He took upon himself our punishment. And that 
forgiveness and healing and reconciliation empowers us to keep moving towards each other in the right way as we put him first and keep him there. I want to invite the band to come up. And as we kind of wrap things up, just a couple questions. Are relationships optional for you? Are you like the character in the movie where you've just said, yeah, shed the backpack, forget about it? Are they optional? God says, this is what makes us human, is to be relational, is to be communal. This is, this is, we've been made in His image. We reflect the very likeness of God when we, when we work with each other, when we maintain, when we keep moving towards each other in relationships. Anytime we deny, anytime we exploit, mistreat, anytime we avoid people, anytime we do that towards relationship, what we're doing is we're denying our humanity. We're denying who God has made us to be, relational people. Reflecting his image. On the other hand, every time we move towards someone in compassion, and we just keep extending compassion to people, we affirm our humanity. And by doing that, what we do is we honor the God who made us in his image. We do relationships because he is, is a relational one. That's why it's so important to him that we reflect his image. If there's problems in your relationships, the solution starts with God. And so we typically want to fix it ourselves, but it always starts back with him. Over the next um, several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at instructions from the Bible on what he says about, here's how you work with the messes that you're enduring in relationships. So we're going to walk passage by passage through what God says about how to, how to really um, find hope where you might have given up hope. Take out that white connection card there, and on the back, take a look at these next steps. There's four of them we're just going to bring up here. And there's just, these might be, these might describe some of the things that you've sensed God wants you to do. First, ask God to soften my heart towards a hopeless relationship. The second one is put first things first. Commit to the priority of growing in Christ. Third one, memorize 2 Corinthians 5.15. And the last one is if you just know someone who you feel like, man, they really could use this type of message. Or if you're benefiting and you feel like, I'd like you to come and join with me. Be a part of my church. Invite them with you. Relationships are just, they're going to be messy. I wish that by the end we could say, you know, all right, that covers the basis now. You're in for smooth sailing. But the, the truth of the matter is, this side of heaven, relationships will be messy. But He helps us through it. He helps us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for displaying your great love for us on the cross, that you were willing to be forsaken by the Father so that we could have forgiveness of sins, be, be at peace with God, and then also, Lord, that, that we could be filled with your Spirit as we um, have invited you in, and then your Spirit begins making changes in our lives that impact my friendships, all of our relationships, so God, all of this was made possible through the cross. So Lord, anytime we get to thinking that we can fix it on our own, Lord, correct us. Remind us that the work has already been done. The great work has already been done. The cross is the basis for all of our reconciliation. Help us not to forget that in our pride or for whatever reason, Lord, I pray we wouldn't lose sight of that. Thank you for this group. Thank you for those that have been just faithfully a part of OCC through the past few months, even for some few years, Lord, and some from the very beginning. We thank you for them. Lord, we're just grateful for what you've done among us and what you continue to do. 
we look to you for the future. We know that you hold it in your hands. So God, help us to value relationships because you do, God. Help us to reflect your image and your nature. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to be receiving our uh, offering in just a moment. And so if you came prepared to give, thank you for coming prepared to give. And beyond that, drop this white card in the, in the offering baskets as it comes by. Um, as far as the coffee mugs, um, last service, we're not sure that everybody got the message that you could take one. So um, make sure you grab a coffee mug. And if you want more than one, see one of those guys in the back. They're five bucks. Cody's going to lead us in a final song. Our ushers can go ahead and receive the morning tithes and offerings. So thank you for coming. Like Scott said, there's a whole lot coming up. And so I hope you plug in at this time in church life. And I believe we're going to have a, a lot of extra Krispy Kreme. So just go to town on the Krispy Kremes after service, okay? Because otherwise the kids are going to be bouncing off the walls and all the parents are going to be, all the parents will be a little frustrated later. So please enjoy. Let's stand together.